Hebrews chapter 5, please. Let's just read, beginning at verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy of knowing you, the privilege of serving you, and thank you, Lord, for loving you as something that you've started in our hearts, Lord, to come to know you, Father, through the quickening of your Spirit, and drawing us to the Son of God. We thank you, Lord, that we love you because... You first loved us. Father, help me with my frailty of voice and clay lips tonight. I pray you'd help me, Lord, to bring this word to this people so faithfully turned out into the house of the Lord tonight. I pray, Father, that you would, Lord, anoint my lips, my mind, Lord, to speak that which you'd have me to speak, but more that the Holy Ghost, he would show us the Lord Jesus Christ that he would be seen alone in this house. Help me, Lord, even, Lord, as we try, as it were, to apply the word of God to the hearts of men and women, Lord. And in my impossibility to do so, we pray that their spirit would take it and wing it to hearts, Lord, and imprint it on minds. And, oh, Lord, may Christ become real. May Christ be glorified. And, oh, Lord, may he be known in this house and loved among this people. Lord, we ask you, Lord, in my inabilities, you'd give me the ability. And with my old body of flesh, Lord, you'd quicken the mortal members. And, oh God, that it would be able, Lord, to speak the wonderful truths of the word of God. And, Father, that Christ would be exalted. Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb, who taketh away the sin of the world, would be lifted up in this place. May our hearts rejoice in our salvation. And we pray, O oh Father, tonight, Lord, not only would our hearts rejoice, but, O oh Lord, may our spirits skip a beat, as it were, Lord, as we, Lord, hear the wonderful word of God that it shows us the Son dying in our place. Let us, Lord, through the word, realize what he has accomplished and all that he has done for our souls. We pray, Lord, you'd make him, as it were, alive unto every heart and unto every mind tonight. Lord, we're tired of church, and we're tired of religion, and we're tired of deadness, and we're asking you, Holy Ghost, to bring life into the hearts of men and women tonight, uh, to glorify the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. To that end, Father, shut us in and settle us in your presence. And we pray, O God, that you would have the preeminence in our meeting tonight. For it's in thy name we ask it and for your glory. Amen. Amen. I want to ask, and it's in thy prayer, I'm asking for the Lord to help me tonight. For the Lord to help me not just to bring a word, but for the Lord to help me that when I bring the word to 
bring me right to Calvary, to bring me to the foot of the old rugged cross, that the anointing of the Spirit would come upon me, that the anointing of the Spirit would come upon you. Brothers and sisters, let's not make this an ordinary night where we come just to clock card and mark seat, but let it be a place where we come and say, Lord, would you come and anoint my eyes to see, my ears to hear, and my heart to believe. Lord, would you help mine unbelief? May he bring each and every one of us to the foot of the old rugged cross in the Gethsemane tonight where the lovely Savior sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. We pray that in Jesus' name. The Hebrew writer writes this, and really it's the book of Hebrews we call it, but really it's a letter. It's one long letter that's been written. The Lord Jesus Christ has ascended into glory. The Hebrew Christians, those who had left temple worship in Jerusalem, and now through persecution from the Jews, the Christians now were thinking it's an easier life to go back to the ritual. Listen, brother, sister, it's easy life to go back to the ritual if you want to go back to ritualism. And it's an easy life if you want to go back to that old temple stuff. It's an easy life if you want to go back to the denominationalism. It's an easy life if you want to go back to where you clock card and you, you don't turn up and no one misses you. And it's an easy life where you have no responsibilities in the, in the house of the Lord. Nor It's an easy uh, life if you want to have no responsibilities, as it were, in your own mind toward God. For here I am, Lord, aren't you lucky to have me? And oh, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew Christians, these people were coming from Judaism, turning away from the Jews' religion, and they've found faith in Christ. And now through persecution, life would be simpler and life would be easy because of the persecution that was so hot, so heavy, and so hostile. And so the climate in Jerusalem and Judea, oh, well, that was death for a man or a woman to follow Christ. You know, the first people that were called Christians were in Antioch, but that wasn't their first name. Do you know that? The people who were first saved by grace, the first people who received Christ as Lord and Savior, they were called followers of the way, or followers of the way. Paul says that he was going out to see if he could find any off the way. In other words, they followed the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. They follow Christ and Christ alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And these early Christians were known as followers of the way. That was simple. Followers of the way then in Antioch, they later became known as Christians. Notice this. These Hebrew uh, believers now were turning back to the temple. The worship of the, the, the slain lamb was there and the, the heifers and, and the bulls and the goats. Sure, the blood is shed there and, and the ritual is there and it looks good in the ceremony and the big massive edifice that was the wonderful temple. And of course, the book of Hebrews is written after AD 30 because Christ has died and was buried and has risen again and has ascended into heaven and glorified and seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is seated in the place of power and authority. And of course, it's before AD 70 because the temple is still in operation. How do we know this? The book of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. Notice Hebrews 10, verse 11, before A.D. 70. Because A.D. 70, the temple was torn down. One stone was not left upon another. 
And brothers and sisters, the stones were tore down. And if if the wailing wall that you see today, if that is the temple, then Jesus got it wrong. Jesus didn't get it wrong, but that's a retaining wall that was later built. In fact, I'm seeing Christians saying, what a wonderful place to pray at this wall. Friends, it's bricks. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's just stone. The Lord said the temple would be torn down. Friend, I want you to see tonight that everything is invested in Christ and in Christ alone. Notice this. It's before AD 70, verse 11 of Hebrews 10 says, And every priest standeth daily. Notice present tense. Standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Here the Hebrew writer says that the priests are still in the temple. You want to go back, Hebrew Christian, then you can go back to that. If you want to go back to dead ritual and lifeless religion, he says, then there it is for you. And that's all you'll have. He says, but if you want life everlasting, and if you want life eternal, it's found in the person of Christ and Christ alone. Notice the priest is standing ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never, notice, never take away sin. They'll never take away your sin. Your religion will never take away your sin. Your denomination and putting your trust in the denomination will never take away sin. Friend, do you hear that? It doesn't matter. I'm hearing people all the time saying, well, my, my denomination, I'm either a Roman Catholic or a, 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 you're maybe a, a, an Episcopalian or you're maybe whatever else. And people seem to hold their all and put their all into a church or a denomination, friend, your denomination and you putting your trust in that will take you to hell. It will take you to a lost eternity and to a devil's hell. Because when we read this, I want you to see tonight, the temple was nothing. Christ is everything and he paid the debt. And that's what we need to look at tonight. Notice the sacrifices can never take away sin. Verse 12, after AD 30. So verse 11 is before AD, AD 70 and the destruction of the temple. But it's also in verse 12, we're after AD 30. But this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, notice he's looking at the temple, can never take away sin. But this man, notice the difference. He's saying the temple, Hebrew Christian, nagging back because of fear, because of stress and anxiety and hardship. You're going back to ritual and religion and the deathliness of it. And he says, here it is. It can never take away sin. Then he turns their attention to Christ. He says, but this man, notice it, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Notice, offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, in a world that we're living in, in ecumenizing and going back to deathly religion, I want the life of Christ. Uh, and I want to trust wholly, fully, totally, solely, uniquely, and completely, and only on what he has wrought on Calvary's tree. Would you say amen to that, brothers and sisters? It's Christ and Christ alone can save your soul and cleanse you from all sin. After AD 30, he says, so Christ, this man, he has sat down at the right hand of God. He's paid your debt, and now he's sat down at the right hand of God. Listen to the words 
of our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 17 and in verse 4. He says, I have finished the work thou givest me to do. Notice he's praying to his father. I have finished the work which thy father givest me to do. And then in John 19 and in verse 28, here we find the Lord Jesus Christ hanging between heaven and earth on the tree at Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull. There he is suspended, hanging between heaven and earth, bleeding and dying in agony. And it says, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. Notice that. Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. What might be fulfilled? The scripture. What scripture? The Old Testament scriptures about him. All the prophets and all the law and all the things that they said about him. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and so on and so on, was all fulfilled in him. And there he is hanging between heaven and the earth. And the the writer uh, John tells us that Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished. In other words, he had paid your debt in full. He had paid your debt in full, the debt of your sin, the debt of your failures and your faults, and your fallings. He paid your debt in full. The, the, the very divorce bill with the house of Israel now would be completed the death of the son that God may be re-betrothed unto his people again. He had paid the debt in full. He had paid for you and for me. Verse 30 of John 19. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Notice, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now notice this, brother, sister, friend, notice this. John 17 and 4, he says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I have finished. Now Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, and then in verse 30, he cries, it is finished. Notice, I have finished. It is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He didn't say, when I bow my head on a pulseless breast, well, that's the end of me. I'll go to the grave and I'll rot in the tomb. No, friend, he did not indeed. He said, it is finished because he went to the grave. He went into the tomb and they rolled upon it the stone and they set upon it a seal and they had a Roman guard. But on the third day, he rose again victorious over it all. Notice, Christ is the theme. Christ is the theme of the book of Hebrews. Not the temple. Christ is the theme of the book of Hebrews. Christ is the centerpiece of the 13 chapters. And Christ hath the preeminence right throughout this book. From Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, to the very conclusion of it. Notice in Hebrews 5 and verse 9, let's take our reading. It says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. This is beautiful. You know, I had that running through my head before I wrote that author this week. The author of eternal salvation. The author of eternal salvation. Now, we know whenever it says that we know an author, they have the mind, they have a will, they put it on the pen, 
And they have plays made about their books and so on. They have the characters. They know their positions and their places. They know all about them. They know the beginning to the ending thereof. And it means he is the author of eternal salvation. The word author here is a word, itios. Itios. And it only occurs once. Now, the word author in the New Testament occurs three times. But the itios for, uh, uh, for author here only occurs once. And this is what it means. It means that in which the cause of anything resides. That in which the cause of anything resides. Or that in which the source of anything is from. Jesus is the cause. Jesus is the source. And Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. Let me look at this word for you just to strengthen it for a moment. Luke chapter 23 and verse 4. The Lord Jesus is being tried by Pontius Pilate. He's being tried and he's taken out to the chief priests and to the people in Jerusalem. And this is what it says in Luke 23 and verse 4. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in him. Notice He says, I find no fault in him. Verse 14. He says again, you have brought this man, you have brought this man to me as one that perverteth the people. That means he's turning you away. He's turning you away from your pharisaical religion. And you're claiming this about him. You have brought this man to me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. Notice, second time, I've found no fault in this man. Verse 22, and he said unto them the third time, why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Now notice here what Pilate says. In verses 4 and 14, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in this man. And again in verse 22, I have found no cause of death in him. See the word fault in verse 4, fault in verse 14, and also the word cause in verse 22. It's the exact same word that's used here for when we're told Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. It's the exact same word that's used for author. It's the word itios. And what Pilate is saying, he's saying, I have questioned him. I have quizzed him. I have interrogated him. We have beaten him and manhandled him that he might bring forth something of what you have accused him of. And I find no fault in him. There's no cause of death in this man. You know what they're saying? We've went to the very source that you say, and it's not there. But when it comes to eternal salvation, we go to the very source of it, and there it hangs and bleeding, dying on the cross of Calvary. That's the strength of this word, that in Christ, no matter of all religions, no matter of all faiths, 
no matter of all denominations, no matter of all sects and cults and everything else, no matter of all thoughts of humanity and men and society, no matter of it all, religious orders or anything else, salvation is found in no one else, nowhere else, but in Christ and in Christ alone. He is the author. He is the bringer forth. He is the cause and he is the source of eternal salvation to all that will obey him and believe on him alone. That's who he is. That's who Christ is. Christ and Christ alone. Tried before these people by Pontius Pilate. The Lord Jesus says in John 14 and 30, listen, think of this. The Jewish leaders and the Jewish mob that day handing him over, as it were, to Pilate, crying and begging for, uh, for his blood to be shed, that he would be put to death. And now I hand it into the hands of Pilate and the Roman soldiers who would nail him hand and foot to that cross, take him up that Golgotha's hill. Notice what Jesus said in John 14 and 30, the prince of this world, he's talking about the devil, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. You know what he says? He'll find nothing in me. You know why? Because he was the spotless lamb of God. He was sinless. He's the pure, spotless lamb of God. You know, this one that we serve, there's no fault found in him. Oh, man can try and find fault, and man can try and say things of fault, but I can tell you, there's no fault found from the devil to his father, to those of us who love him. He is pure and holy and harmless and undefiled, separate from sinners, and now he's made higher than the heavens. Uh, he's a wonderful saviour, isn't he? Isn't it good to get around the person of Christ? Uh, isn't it good to refresh herself to know the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Hebrew writer says he is the author of eternal salvation. What is he saying? In relation to all the cross work of Christ, in relation to the shedding of his precious blood in Calvary, Golgotha, in relation to all that he has done and all that he has accomplished, everything he says, I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. It is finished, he says on the cross. In relation to that, the Christ is the only way and means and method for a man and a woman to be saved and to be forgiven of their sins. The idea of this in relation to the ways and means of which the Lord Jesus has wrought salvation for us is not temporal atonement. Notice, this is not a temporal atonement. This isn't a conscience easer thing, you know. Some people go to church for conscience easing. They're not saved. Conscience easing and they're not saved. I was just talking to someone before the meeting and I remember and bless them but mom and dad are both gone now and we, we, we weren't in a Christian home. We didn't know Christ. My dad was Presbyterian so we were Presbyterian. We never went. We're on the church road. And, and, and my, my mom <clears throat> grew up Church of Ireland and my dad used to say to her, do you know what? Sure you're just in the Church of Ireland it says uh, you're just as close to the papacy as, as, as you are as anything else. My mom would say, yeah, but there's a, a, there's a wall of paper down there. It's called the Bible. You nothing about the Bible. Not saved. They were lost. You can have your religion and your little stories and your thoughts about it 
Friend, but if you are not Christ, you are not saved. And you're lost for all eternity. Praise God that both of them gave their lives to Christ. And now they're away on to the rest in him. Remember when my mom, I don't want to go off, I remember I'd been not long saved and she wasn't well. She's up in the hospital and she knew there was something really wrong with her. And she was sitting in the bed crying with my brother and his then girlfriend, my wife, beside her. And I walked into the hospital and this man coming from where I came from, her seeing me worried sick about me. I remember coming into the hospital and I sat on the side of her bed. I says, hi, mom. I was a wee blue eye. I says, hi, mommy. And she says, she'd been crying and she had a tissue in her hand, sitting on with her legs up in the bed. And she says, son, I'm afraid. I says, what for? She says, I don't have what you have, son. I don't have what you have. What is it you have that I don't have? And she would have went to the church a few times. She wasn't even religious going to the church. I says, Mom, you have church. I have Christ. You have church. I have Christ. Friend, do you have Christ or you have church? Do you know there's many people we're going to be looking for them there and not then. I believe they were full of church and not full of Christ. And they won't be there. They won't be there. And there's going to be many that you thought that they'll never do and they're going to be there. It's going to surprise you when we get the glory. When the kingdom come. Notice this. The Lord Jesus Christ did not offer a temporal atonement nor appeasement to God as the lambs and the bulls and the goats did in the temple in Jerusalem. No way. He offered it once and for all. And what did he offer? He offered himself. An eternal, an eternal atonement. The finished work. Salvation resides and abides in Jesus only. And Christ is the author of eternal salvation. And here, the eternal God becomes man to hang on a cross. The eternal God becomes a little baby in a manger. To live a life as a man. To die on a tree. That you and I, who were unworthy of his grace, might find ourselves who trust in him, may find ourselves in his glory and in his kingdom. Notice he came to offer himself unto God. And now salvation is offered unto depraved man. Christ is the source and Christ is the cause of salvation. In him, from him, through him, by him, because of him, the Holy Spirit of God takes a man and a woman and he, he quickens them. He, he makes them alive unto God to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, see when the Holy Ghost quickens you, you can't see anybody else. You can't see anything else. And you can't see any religion. And you can't see any Jewish temple. All you can see is the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Christ and Christ alone. Oh, brothers and sisters, does Christ not rejoice your heart? Does Christ not thrill your spirit? Does the Lord Jesus Christ not 
make you full of the pleasures of God. That you love him. You love him with all your heart. Notice the Spirit exalts the Son of God and shows us who the author is. In that man hanging on the tree is the Word of God, eternal with the Father. And was God. On that tree is the Son of God. Pilate said, I find no fault. Notice, notice everything centers on the Lord Jesus here. Everything centers, the whole book of Hebrews, the whole Bible. But speaking about tonight, the whole book of Hebrews is, everybody's talking about the temple and the sacrifice and the worship. And listen, people are looking for that again. Oh, they're going to build the temple in Jerusalem. Listen, that's an abomination unto God. We don't go over and look at for, for temples to be built. The third temple, the third temple. Brothers and sisters, he's building his third temple. Do you know where it is? You're it. You're it. Know ye not that ye are the, what is it? Say it again. The temple of the Holy Ghost. The word temple there, by the way, I'll do you, I'll take you through it. It's the, the naos, the naos of the Holy Ghost. The, the, the place that you had the temple, the structure, is the Huron. This is the Huron, the building. The Naos is that place. Uh, you go through the first field and into the second field, which is the most holy or the holy of holies or the most holy of all, where the priest, the high priest of Israel went once a year to offer atonement for the sins of Israel. And that's the Naos of God, where God met the high priest. Well, you know what? Paul tells us, you and I now, we're the naos of God. You're the naos of God, brother. Sister, and I am the naos. We are the place where the holy of holies is. We're where God comes, fitly framed together tonight. We're living stones. We're building the temple. We're here together. And the Holy Ghost is in our hearts and in our midst. The third temple is being built. I know that may upset some of you watching, but that's the truth. Notice what he says. I might have to do two nights in this. Notice what he says. Everything's centering in Jesus. Brothers and sisters of anything tonight, forget about everything else. When a man and a woman fix their eyes on Christ, they don't even think of a temple. And they don't even think of anything else. All that can see is him. See my heart. All that wants is him. I don't want religion. I'm dead religion. You neither you're like you neither know where you're up or down. You're in or out. I can tell you, the man and the woman whom the Holy Ghost has got the hold of and Christ has entered into, they'll see nothing and want nothing else but the Son of God. They want to worship him and rejoice in him and give glory to him. For Christ alone is worthy. Notice. Notice this. Centered in Christ. I find no fault in him. In him. You know what? I could find plenty of fault in other people. 
If you and I were interrogated by man, they'd find fault in us, wouldn't they? I'd find fault in me all the time. Even whenever I didn't even realize I'm being faulty. <laughs> Paul, the child's okay. The child's okay. You said there, I want you to hear the word. Even whenever I don't even realize I'm being faulty. Even I realize I'm, I, have, I don't know what I've done wrong, still people find fault. But when they took Christ and they smote him with reeds and with the palms of their hands and they stripped him naked, naked! They stripped him naked and they interrogated the Savior. They interrogated him and up and down and in and out and back and forth to the Jewish rabble outside. I find no fault in this man. In him. Well, you find fault in me. You find fault in you. But in him. You wouldn't have to dig too deep with us, but in him. Perfect sacrifice. Spotless Lamb of God. He's the impeccable Son of God. You know what the difference is when Jesus is the spotless Lamb and the impeccable Son? You know what the difference is between being spotless and being impeccable? See, he was spotless when he was examined. There's no, nothing in him. Impeccable means that within that veil of flesh was almightiness. Was deity clothed in humanity. And the impeccable son of God means that within that man, within him, the one whom Pilate had interrogated, within him, whom he found no fault, a man he did not sin, but he could not sin. Because he was God. That's what impeccable means. Oh, he felt every, every pain and every pang and every, every, every twang of, of the sin and the very calling of the heart that you and I do. He felt that every single last part of it. He was fully man, but he was fully God. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. Notice this, Pilate. But I find no fault in this man. The Jews cried, not this man, but Barabbas. And then they cried again, if I let this man go, then you're not Caesar's friend. If I let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. And the Hebrew writer, let's see what the inspired Hebrew writer says. Hebrew writer in chapter 7 and verse 24 zeroes in again with these people looking toward a temple and ritual and animal sacrifice and animal blood offering. Notice. Notice what it says. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Oh, Aaron and his his lineage right down was changing. They were dying and changing. He says, but this one, he's going to be the high priest that goes into the temple through the veil of his flesh, going right through the clouds into the heavens to be your high priest. And he's unchanging. He's unchanging. Brothers and sisters, I rejoice in the fact to know somebody's praying for me. There's a man in the glory. The Lord Jesus Christ. 
I knows what he says, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 27 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the author of eternal salvation. He is the cause. He is the source of eternal salvation to all who will obey and believe him. Notice here in our reading something. In Hebrews 5 and verses 5 and 6. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he hath said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Notice, the Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself under his father's hand. I think it's amazing. I think it's astonishing. I think it's astounding that this one was able to humble himself. Sometimes God speaks to us in his word, brothers and sisters, friend. Sometimes God's calling, maybe you're not saved, and God's speaking, and man's haughty heart says, I don't need God. I don't want to get saved tonight, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe the next time. Man in his haughty heart thinks, I'm going to live forever, and you don't know the day the grave may call you. Yet Christ humbled himself. Christ humbled himself under the mighty hand of his Father. Notice 1 Peter 5 and 6 says these words. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. And Jesus done it to the T. He humbled himself as an example to all of us that his Father would exalt us in due time. Hebrews 5 Verses 5 and 6, the one who declares, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Notice, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. There was a time when he had begotten the son who walked on the earth. This one who came from glory. Now he walks on the earth as a man. And notice the exaltation of the father to him. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You might say, well, surely being the son would be more important than than being the priest. Not necessarily. In this sense. In this sense. I'm talking about humanity here. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 78. Secondly, we have the Lord Jesus humbles himself to the will of his father. We're going to look at this. It says, who in the days of his flesh, that is in the days of the Lord Jesus, his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, unto his father, that is, who was able to save him from death and that he was heard. The son, now he is offering up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. Listen, here's a critic's one. And I've told some of you this before and I'm going to bring it out again. Would you say from death? death. Now the critics say this. Ah, see, Jesus didn't come to die. He prayed and supplicated that he would not 
see death. Now, listen, that's a lie. He knew he was going to die. He told him he would hang on the tree. He came to redeem our souls. Now, notice this. The word from, from death. The word from is two main words used in the Greek text. One is apo, A-P-O, apo. And it means from the edge off. From the edge off. So if I'm standing beside the screen and I walk from the edge of it away from. From death. It means, so I think, well, he came right up to death. Uh, he hung on the cross. He went through a terrible time. Uh, he swooned and he fainted. They took him down and he revived again. Now that would may be true if that were the word that was used, but it's not the word that was used. Apo from the edge off. The word here, from, as in from death, is the word ek, simply ek. And it means out from within. Out from within. Now, if I were to go right around here behind this drum screen, or let me put it this way, if I was to say uh, to some one of you, <clears throat> if I was to say to you, I mean, to come to church on Sunday night, and say, I'm saying to Robert, Robert, you come to church on Sunday night, and he says, I'll be there. And he comes to church, and he comes to the very doors here, and he spins around, and he walks home again. And after church, I phone him and say, Robert, I was looking for you at church, and you weren't there. He says, but I was. That's Apo. He came to the edge of it, and he went out again. But he was. But if I say, I want you to come to church, and Robert comes and sits in this seat as he's sitting, and he partakes in the meeting as he's partaking, and then he goes home again tonight, that means he not came to the edge and walked away from the edge off. He came right into it, and he went from within to without when he went home. The word ak, from death here, means Jesus was praying, I'm going to go right into death. It was a resurrection prayer. Father, you're going to raise me up again. That's what it means. Oh, you see, friend, to bring you to Gethsemane in Luke 22 and 42. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy mean done. That isn't the cup of death he's asking to be removed from him. There's actually a, a little verse in Psalm 11 and verse 6. Listen to this. It says, Upon the wicked shall he rain snare, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Notice that. Upon snare, fire, brimstone, a horrible tempest, this shall be the portion of their cup. Listen, that was the ungodly. That was the ungodliness for sin. And here the psalmist is saying, that's what you'll do. That's what their cup is. You know what the cup he was asking to be removed? The wrath of his father. He says, the horrors of it. He had never been uh, separated from his father ever. Ever. He didn't know what it was like to be apart from his father. And now the very chills of death in Gethsemane. The idea of the Greek is that Christ goes a stone throw from the disciples and he falls and he's getting up under the weight and the stress of it. And as he's crying these words, the idea is death is encompassing me. The sin and the weight of it is coming onto me. But your wrath, Father, is what I fear the most. I fear your wrath. That's what Christ wanted taken from him. Not death. He came to die. Don't let these hellbound men tell you any different. 
The wrath of the Father became real to the Son because he had never known sin before. I find no fault in him. Doesn't matter what Pilate thought. The Father looked at him and said, My son, I find no fault in him. But when your sin and mine, and the penalty of it came upon him, the Father had to punish the sin, separated from his Father, going into the jaws of death, right into the tomb. We have lost the fear of God, you know that? We have lost the fear of God in our nation. We've lost the fear of God among our people. And if even the church got a little glimpse, because it's all hyper grace, if the, if the church got a glimpse of his holiness and the view of Christ again, they would do something with it and live for his glory. Realize what you're saved from, brother. You realize what you're saved from, sister. When it came upon the Son of God, he says, this is the cup. The horrible tempest and the fire and wrath of the Father. And I'm taking it for you. And men and women are rejecting him. I'm glad I'm saved tonight. I'm glad I'm his. In Golgotha, he also offered up strong, crying, Matthew 7 and 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Notice, Father, you've forsaken me. Separation from his father he never knew. The wrath of his father was about to be poured out upon him and he knew it, he felt it. And the sky turned black. You know, all the wrath of God was poured out fully and completely upon him. All of it. What for? For you. That the wrath of God wouldn't be poured out upon you. Wouldn't be poured out upon me. Let me just look at this. Why has I forsaken me? For example, in uh, Psalm 16 and verse 10. And it's repeated in Acts chapter 2 and verse 27. In Acts 2 and 27, Peter uses it. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Nor wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. What does he mean? Won't see, <clears throat> excuse me, won't see corruption. I'll tell you what he means. The Jews believed that in three days, corruption set into the body. Remember Lazarus died and Jesus came late and the sister came and says, Lord, Lord, uh, he's dead four days already. This time he stinketh. He's stinking now. Putrefaction is set in. Well, you see, that's why Jesus was raised when? On the third day. Because he wouldn't see corruption. The Father raised him from the tomb. Now, notice this. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Or that is, in Hades, the realms of the dead of the grave. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. The word leave and forsaken here is the word in catalipo. And this is what it means to desert, to totally abandon, to be utterly forsaken. So when Jesus cries, why have my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You have left me and totally abandoned me, he says. And then the prophetic prayer, Psalm 16, and rehearsed again by Peter in Acts chapter 2. 
Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. And Lord, thou wilt not totally abandon me and leave me for good. It's resurrection. The Father would forsake him on the cross, but the Father would not forsake him in the grave. You know, the, the amen of the Son, or the, pardon me, the resurrection of the Son is the amen of the Father to what the Son had done on the cross. I finished the work. All things are now completed. It is finished. And he dies. And he's put in the tomb. The Father raises him up and he says, Amen, Son. He takes him up into glory. Brothers and sisters, in Hebrews 13 and 5, the same word is used, I will never leave thee, nor forsake. It's a same word. I won't leave you desolate. I won't abandon you completely and leave you alone. I will never, 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 never leave you. Nor forsake thee. Hebrews 5 and 9, and being made perfect, I'm going to have to wrap this up. <clears throat> For one, of too much material. And two, I haven't got any more voice. And three of the preaching and our meeting at eight o'clock. Hebrews 5 and 9, and being made perfect. Notice those words. Now, being made perfect, does that give the idea then that the master, the Lord Jesus, was flawed? Ever flawed? That he had to be made perfect? Not at all. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you this because there's men and women out there who would love to tell you different. Not at all. Notice. The word perfect is teleo. Teleo. And it means, notice, to bring a person or a thing to the goal fixed by God. (laughs) In other words, when he was born, he was born in a manger. From the manger to the grave, from the grave to glory, his father was taking him all the way, leading him the whole way. That means being made perfect. Led by his father. He says, I do that which I see the father do. It's not that there's anything wrong with him, though. In verse 7 of our reading, you have the days of his flesh. And in verse 9, made perfect, it's not an imperfection in Christ, but rather that in the days of his flesh, the Father was bringing him, his son, from Bethlehem, the whole way through to Golgotha, to the grave, to glory. Jesus had a life to live. He kept the law we couldn't keep. He lived the life we couldn't live. And he died as our substitutionary offering that we could not offer unto God. Hebrews 9 and verse 4 says, He offered himself to God. Hey, it doesn't say Jesus came with another lamb and started another sacked off the temple. It doesn't say that because he didn't. It says he offered himself to God. I'm going to say it again. He offered himself to God. Centered in Christ. He offered himself to God. To God. He offered himself to God. 
He offered himself to God. There's nothing else you could offer. There's nothing else you could offer. He was perfect. Perfect sacrifice, perfect offering, perfect priest, perfect son. And he became the author of our salvation. In Hebrews 2 and 10, he's called the captain of our salvation. The captain of our salvation. And in Hebrews 12 and 2, we're told, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, see the word captain of our salvation and author and finisher of our faith. Notice the word author. Captain of our salvation and author and finisher of our faith. In the Greek, kegos, the same word. It's the word archegos. Archegos. So the word author here is different than in our reading. So the one in our reading means within him he is the source of salvation. Within him is God. The offering of the Son. He is the source of eternal salvation. But once we're saved, we look on to Jesus, the author, and finisher. He's the captain of our salvation. You know what it means? He's the one from the source, and he leads us and guides us through his spirit and his word. You know what he says? I will not leave you comfortless. See the word comfortless? It's the word orphanos. You know what orphanos means? Orphans. I'll be your father. <laughs> I'm coming And you might be like an orphan. You think, well, what do you do now? I've given my life to you. He says, you trust me. I will not leave you comfortless. He says, I will come to thee. And sure, hasn't he come in the Holy Ghost? I'm closing. Thank you. He is the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ obtained every necessary qualification for the office of priesthood. That's what it means, brought to perfection too. You're my son. Look at him. He's a tender plant. Look at him now. And now he stands before the Father in heaven, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes. Ye are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But the Lord, the Father, Yahweh, had left there on him the Son, Yahshua, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He's a man of sorrows. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. 
Shattering shame and scoffing root In my place condemned he stood Sealed my pardon with his blood Hallelujah What a Savior Lifted up was he to die It is finished was his cry Now in him Exalted high Hallelujah What a Savior When he comes Our glorious King Oh bless him Hallelujah Then I knew this song will sing Hallelujah What a Savior Brothers and sisters, I love I love teaching the church Say a Sunday morning Ministering to the body, I love it I love Bible prophecy, you know it. I love it. I'm in it all the time and I have been for years. I love it. I love it. But I love him. I love talking about him. I love lifting him up and exalting him. He is worthy of the praise. Let's keep him central. Everything, everything centers around him. He is the author of eternal salvation. I might do part two, I don't know. I might not. See how the Lord leads me. Thank you for your attention.